This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish, and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. Welcome back to After the Buzzer. Today we have a special guest, my good friend Eric Stisser, Vice President of Corporate Sponsorship for the 2019 Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. As all of St. Louis knows, the Blues just completed one of the sport's most dramatic turnarounds, going from last place to winning it all. It was the first championship for the Blues after 49 years and in this pursuit. The run invigorated downtown St. Louis and captured much of the region. Eric has experienced this before. He was director of corporate sales and marketing for the St. Louis Rams when they made a similar run and won the Super Bowl in 2000. Eric and I will talk about those runs and the similarities and differences. Eric has been with the Blues since 2006 and is responsible for managing and developing the business relationships and generating revenues in corporate partnerships, advertising sales, stadium signage, media promotions, and executive suite sales. Eric also works closely on the development of special events and the overall marketing and branding for the Blues and Enterprise Center, including the recent renaming of it. In addition to, to the Rams, Eric has worked as an assistant director for business development for the Continental Basketball Association. He received his bachelor's degree in communication from DePaul University, where he played quarterback on the football team. He's a little small for that, but I guess he's... <laughs> I, that's his claim to fame. In 2001, Eric received his MBA from Washington University. It is my pleasure to welcome Eric to After the Buzzer. So, Eric, tell us about the run to the Stanley Cup. How was that? Well, first of all, I just want to say it's great to be here. Bob and I go back 20 years. Um, I interviewed with Bob probably back in 1998, um, and we had a lot of fun at the Rams together. Uh, I was there for eight or nine seasons. Um, our run there was, was terrific, and we'll get into comparing and tra contrasting those. So this run was, was truly remarkable uh, because, as a lot of people know, uh, on January 3rd, we were in last place in the National Hockey League uh, by points and never before had a team been in last place at the flip of the calendar. Only three teams had ever made the playoffs. No team had ever won a playoff game, so clearly no team had ever gone on to win the Cup. So first team ever to be in last place after the calendar year to go on and win the Stanley Cup, let alone win a playoff game. So it's interesting. We knew we had the team in place. We knew we had the players. We got off to a very slow start. We were active in free agency last year. We brought on about five or six new pieces. And no one could really tell why we weren't clicking. Um, we made a coaching change in the middle of November, uh, which was a tough decision for Tom Stillman and Doug Armstrong. But we promoted our assistant coach, Craig Berube, who uh, had played in the league for a number of years, had been the head coach for the Flyers and was on our bench for two years. And prior to that, he was the head coach of our minor league team. So Craig was familiar with a lot of our younger players uh, and very well liked. He, he's a good guy and, and a player's coach, but very demanding. Craig is very black and white. So it took Craig some time to instill his philosophy and his process. And, um, you know, as they say, the magic just occurred in January. They started playing together as a team. And as they like to say, they just played shift by shift. And as Doug Armstrong said, they would park a win, they would park a loss, and they would just move on. Because looking at the calendar only three months out, we knew we didn't have a lot of time to, to make up lost ground. But um, the cup run was amazing. Um, uh, I don't want to jump ahead, Bob, but just a question that I've asked a lot of people. When I think back to our Rams run, 
Um, that was three games over three weeks. We won on a Sunday. We won on a Sunday, and then there was no week off in between, right. as you well know. We won the next Sunday. So three weeks, three games, we were, we were Super Bowl champs. This was 26 games over eight weeks. So you can imagine the endurance. I didn't play on the ice, obviously, but just the endurance of ticket sales, entertaining clients, traveling to away games with clients, really managing your emotions, a very key win, a very tough loss, and really trying to uh, look at the big picture and, and know that this is a marathon and not a sprint. So that, that is really how I would compare and contrast is really just the longevity. And they say the Stanley Cup is the toughest trophy to win in all sports, and it's because it's, it's four rounds, and we played 26 games over eight weeks. Right. I, I, I was about to pull out my violin, a very little one for you, while you were complaining about, you know, drinking and eating for, for six weeks or something. Uh, so it is the toughest run to a championship. I don't know. I think the NBA is a little similar to what goes on because they play a lot of games and you've got to win a bunch of series. And, you know, the NFL, as you're right, we won, when we went to the Super Bowl, both the Rams, both of them, we won the division. So we only had to play two games to get to the Super Bowl as right. opposed to, you know, winning, what, four series you have to win or for, for the NHL. Uh, but I'm not really feeling sorry for the corporate guys who are, you know, entertaining clients and on an expense account for, for, you know, six weeks. That, that's a pretty easy job. Bob, we were driving a lot of revenue as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you mentioned your coach, Craig Berube. I don't know. I, I say my extent of the hockey knowledge is when I first moved here back in 1981, I went to a lot of hockey games because I was single and we had tickets. And the only thing I knew was the guy behind me who went to like every hockey game would scream, too many men on the ice. So that's the only rule I know, too many men on the ice, uh, which they never call, by the way. Uh, but Barubi seemed like sort of your lunch pail type of coach. Uh, you know, he seemed like a player. As you said, he was a player's coach. And, uh, but he didn't, you know, he, he wasn't dressed in the Armani suits or any of that. He just seemed like a guy that uh, motivated the team. How, how, how was he or does he interact with the business side? He does. So I got to know Craig a few years ago. We have a, a corporate golf tournament that every player plays in and the coaches. And he was in my group two years in a row. And so it's been great to get to know Craig. Um, and generally speaking, hockey players and coaches are very down to earth. I would say they're some of the most down to earth athletes that we have. Um, so Craig was great. And I sent him a congratulatory text when he got the head job and he texted me back the next day. That was back in November and it was off to the races. Now, clearly we don't see those guys every day because they travel a lot. They're on the road a lot. But, um, you know, Bob, I think you're right. I mean, he was kind of a blue collar player. He was he was a grinder. He actually uh, had a lot of penalty minutes. He was kind of a brawler back in the day when the game was a little bit different. Um, so he's a no-nonsense guy, and he's still in great shape for his age. And um, I think he knew what he knew what this team needed when he took over. Um, every locker room in any sport can be clicky, and I think uh, Chief is his nickname. Chief kind of knocked those walls down. He got those guys believing in each other, and, and truly they played every shift for each other. And I think. Uh, as evidenced by his three-year contract extension that he got yesterday as our new head coach. So, I mean, uh, and we are going to talk about some of the differences uh, in the run from the Rams and, you know, some of the lessons that you may learn as a business guy going, you know, capitalizing on a victory. But uh, you mentioned that uh, hockey players are some of the more accommodating players. Is different than you've been worked in basketball, you worked in 
in uh, football, hockey players are a different breed? I think they're a different breed. I, I will preface that by saying they're still pro athletes, okay, and they all still make, you know, our top guys are making nine, ten million a year. So they're in a very different category than the common person. Um, I think where they're a little bit different is hockey is such a it's kind of a grinding sport when they start as a five or six year old you're skating at six in the morning um, you're traveling a lot so there's something there's something in their dna as far as giving back to the sport and promoting the sport and just an example that i will give you over the years some of the guys that do stay in town they will come to myself and others in our group and say hey guys tell me when the next corporate golf outing is we want to play with you they just love to be one of the guys they love to talk about the sport promote the sport you know, there certainly some Rams guys did do that, but oftentimes we'd have to sort of beg, borrow, and steal those guys to come to our events and sometimes pay them for appearances. But hockey guys are just a little bit different. Um, they really enjoy being around uh, the fans, the sponsors, and the folks that really give back to the game. So there are a lot of people comparing uh, the goalie Bennington to Kurt Warner and sort of the rise from nothing to being a star. Can you make that comparison? You were around both those kind of players. You know, I think I can. I, I will tell you, uh, and I follow it closely, uh, I did not know much about Jordan Bennington. He was our number four goalie coming into camp, which a, a comparison is you and I probably didn't know much about the number four quarterback in camp. Typically, it's a camp arm. You don't spend much time thinking about him or looking at him. Um, Bennington was a guy that had kind of toiled in the minors for almost four years. I think it was something like 300 games, which is a lot. And when you get to be about 25, 26 years old, you're either going to make it in the league or you're not. Um, he had a good camp. Um, and how old is he? He's 25. I okay. believe he's 25, 26. He had a good camp. Uh, there was a guy above him named Ville Husso, who our minor league team is now in San Antonio. Um, Jordan was his backup. Uh, Ville got hurt. Um, Jake Allen got off to a slow start. Our backup, Johnson, did not play well. So things kind of worked out to where we put Jordan in there in January kind of as a spark, and he got a shutout his first game against Philadelphia, 3 nothing. And by the way, that was the launch of Gloria, which we can talk about later, which also came from Philly. Um, but I, would, I think the comparison's fair because Kurt bounced around a lot. Kurt had talent, and Kurt just was kind of the forgotten guy like Jordan was, and then they burst onto the scene, and then that same year they won a title. So I think you can certainly draw some comparisons there. Yeah, funny, the Kurt Warner story, I, Kurt was a – on the team for the year before he, he ended up starting. And I, I remember going to a kid's basketball game at Parkway Middle School, and he and I are there, and I see this guy standing, and I said, that guy looks familiar. Had no idea who he was. And he was there to see his daughter play basketball. And a year later, he couldn't have walked into Parkway gym for anything without Correct. being mobbed, you know? Yeah. Uh, and Brenda would have made sure that people <laughs> stayed away from him in, at that point. But, uh, yeah, so hockey... Uh, tell me about what do you look forward to as you as you now are Stanley Cup champions? Do they call them Stanley Cup or World Champions and Stanley Cup Stanley Cup champions in hockey? How's that going to change Eric Stisser's world in selling the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, that's a good question. It probably will not change a lot of my day-to-day -day role or our sponsorship group's role. I mean, our goal every day, and we preach it, is you know you want to retain your partners, grow your partners, and get new partners. And um, certainly, um, we want to capitalize on this, and we want to, you know, for the most part, the last several years, we've 
sort of been maxed out on the revenue side as far as we sell at our dashboards, our LED, our radio. Now certainly we'll, we'll try to charge more and, and, and come up with some new platforms. Um, but day to day it won't change much. I mean, I think we'll have a much shorter off season. Um, you know, the last several years, we made the playoffs the last seven out of eight years. By mid-May, you were already starting on the next season. So here we are, almost July 1, so we've got a much shorter window uh, to get going on our renewals and new business. Um, we'll do some events around the cup. We'll, we'll do some, some, some partner dinners and things like that. Um, you know, we'll probably get into this in a minute, but we've got the All-Star Game in January. So we have a lot of marketing and platforms that we will sell around the All-Star Game and probably around the cup. Um, but I guess my answer to you would be not a lot day to day, but we have some more things to sell now because we're now Stanley Cup champs. You did make a lot of changes to uh, the Enterprise Center uh, this year, and, and because of that, I think you, you know, the SEC's coming back, the Blues fans are happy. What, what, did, what did you do there? Yeah, so first of all, I just want to point out that Enterprise, obviously a great St. Louis-based privately held firm, uh, stepped up a year ago uh, on a new long-term naming rights agreement. The Taylor family is, is, is extremely generous in this community, philanthropically and now sports-wise. So Enterprise made a long-term commitment. The last two years, we have uh, put in over $100 million uh, to Enterprise Center with renovations and capital improvements. Uh, I would tell you phase one was really um, more infrastructure. You know, uh, for lack of a better term, it was a 25-year-old house. So, so heating, cooling, pipes, a new ice center. Uh, we replaced all the seats in the upper bowl on the, on the club level last year. We built three new private clubs. We've just modernized the building, Bob, uh, and it was time. We, we have some, some, some public gathering spaces with the Budweiser uh, Brew Pub. Um, and again, uh, s some other private spaces that we have, the, the Barmerito Lounge, uh, the Stiefel Bull and Bear Club, the Jameson Club. Our offices were underneath. We moved our offices over to Stiefel Theater, and underneath our offices is now a private club for the people that sit along the glass, all-inclusive food and beverage. Again, things you beg, borrow, and steal from other teams when you're doing renovations. And this, this summer is our third wave. The lower bowl will get new seats. Um, I never thought I would imagine how expensive uh, elevators and escalator renovations are, but we're doing those as well. So just modernizing the building and really getting it up to speed. Right. No, no. <laughs> I, I know how elevators are really expensive. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> right. <laughs> it really is incredible. So there are a lot of, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of competition in the St. Louis market. Uh, I tell people that St. Louis is a, is a, big, is a small city with a lot of big-time attractions. Uh, you know, we've got you guys are involved in the uh, the Stiefel Arena, uh, Stiefel Theater. Stiefel Theater. We have a great zoo here. We have a great you know symphony. Uh, you know, we have some great cultural events here. The Muni, Shakespeare in the Park, and we have the Cardinals. Uh, how is and I know you guys get along, so you don't have to tell me how wonderful the right. the partnership between the Cardinals and the Blues are. But how does that affect the day to day? business environment for the Blues as, as going against the Cardinals? It, it really doesn't. And, and I know, I, I'll just touch upon it. Uh, we we complement each other. And it really goes back to we had a good rapport prior to the Rams leaving. But when the Rams left, we kind of joined forces. And we kind of joined each other at the hip. And, and Stillman and DeWitt get along very well. Um, tonight, the Stanley Cup is going to be at Bush Stadium from 5 to 7 for the Cardinals fans to, to get pictures with it. Um, they hosted our rookies this uh, two days ago for batting practice. We wear Cardinals jerseys during warm-ups. 
um, in the spring, and then we sign those and auction those off. They do it for us in the fall. We hand out their pocket schedules. They hand out our pocket schedules. And when I go to conferences around the country, people ask me, how in the world does this happen? Two teams that compete for entertainment dollars and sponsor dollars, how does this happen? We just get along really well. Our ownership groups get along. Our front offices get along. Um, and, we, you know, we complement each other. Sure, there's a little bit of overlap in the spring and the fall, but for the most part, we're different seasons. And um, I would say we share probably 80% of the same corporate partners with sponsors and suite holders. Sure, does a company sometimes make a decision to go with the Cardinals or the Blues? Yes. But um, for the most part, we get along really, really well. And um, there's probably four people... I think on our ticket group right now that used to work for the Cardinals, there's some of our folks that, that are now over there. So um, it's a two-way street, and we get along well. But, yes, to answer your question, there are times when we come toe-to-toe with a particular sponsor, and they may choose us or them, and it is what it is. So as it, How was it when the Rams were here? Was there a difference? Uh, was there more? I mean, obviously, it was more competition because you had yeah. uh, another big dog in town. Right. Uh uh, you, you you described the relationship between the Cardinals and the Blues. How about the relationship between the Blues and the Rams when they were here? You're, you're coming from there. There was some familiarity yeah. with the people, right? But on a business to business side. Yeah. If I'm if I'm being really really candid here, the eight years I was with you at the Rams, you know, we had a really really great run, and um, at that point in time, I think the Cardinals and the Rams were one A one B. It just depended upon the season. Um, I think back then the Blues were a clear number two team, three in the market, if you will. Although back in the early 2000s, they won a President's Trophy. They were really good with Pronger and McKinnis. Um, when I made the move over to the Blues, uh, Martz had already left. I think Scott Linehan had just become the head coach. Um, as you well know, I talked to you a lot about it. Um, it. It was a tough decision for me to leave the Rams, but I felt like the Blues um, and, and really the NHL we're at a point where we could only go up. The Blues brand was really, really low, and I felt like I was buying a stock for a dollar. It was a 40-year-old brand that had just come off a lockout, new ownership group and Dave Checkets. And as we rebuilt that franchise, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, the Rams fell on hard times. I mean, the Rams had a, had a nine- or ten-year run that was one of the worst in all pro sports as far as their record. And I think um, – the Rams, you know, once I got into 09, 10, 11, 12, um, we didn't bump up against the Rams as much as we used to. Um, and I felt like the Blues had probably overtaken the Rams as the number two team in the market from a, a corporate standpoint um, as far as fan engagement, um, good product on the ice. I mean, the Rams just fell, fell upon hard times. And I think once people figured out what Stan's motives were, um, I think the Rams fell that much further down. But I don't think the Blues and the Rams were ever joined at the hip like the Blues and the Cardinals are. But I, I think we certainly got along fine. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you recall we would trade out suites, Blues and Rams back in the day. We would trade out tickets. So there was always a professional courtesy, no doubt about it. But we weren't doing joint promotions like we are with the Cardinals now. So one of the criticisms that Kroenke made when he moved, out of, moved the Rams out of St. Louis is that he believed that this city was not capable of supporting three teams. Uh, and whether you agree or disagree with that, and over the past three years, and really, as you mentioned, prior to the Rams even leaving, 
their popularity was dwindling, especially once they went to the year-to-year -year lease and people kind of got the impression that uh, he wanted to move the team. Well, we're going to get a new team in here, uh, the MLS probably. Right. I, would, I would imagine they're going to get it. And to add on top of it, as you mentioned earlier, they're going to be owned by one of St. Louis's leading families. Mm -hmm. Do you think that will have any impact on sponsorship dollars, marketing issues? Uh, you know, you're going to have the difference between the Rams and, and, and when they were here is that they weren't engaged. They weren't. And now you're going to have someone who's going to have a lot of, a lot of juice and MLS being owned by the Taylors. I would agree. I think the MLS will be a home run here for sure. I think, um, you know, I think selfishly we all will probably be a bit envious because they will be the new team on the block. And I would imagine when that is announced and they form an executive team and they go on sale with tickets, I bet you within two to three days they sell out the entire stadium. And uh, that's just part of being the new kid on the block. And I think um, with the Taylor family and Jim Cavanaugh um, and with, 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 with what Caroline Kindle's doing, um, it's going to be a home run. And I think it'd be silly for me to say they won't impact us. However, um, there is some cross-ownership between them and ourselves. I think we'll do some things with them. Again, they're primarily a spring, summer, fall league. So that'll complement uh, our seasons. And... Um, I, I, don't, I don't think we'll lose a lot of corporate dollars. I, I, I think most St. Louisans, and back to your, your, your comment about Stan, we supported three teams for a long time here. When the Rams were really, really good, that dome was incredible, and we were selling it out. So I think this market can't support three teams, and I think it will support the soccer very well. So let me ask you, and I'm going I'm to go back to, to soccer and other sports uh, and fan bases and all that stuff in, in a minute, but let's talk about because both of us are football fans to some extent. And now they're, the XFL just hired a president yep. the, the I know other Kurt. day. You, do you know? Okay. I do. And uh, so they're coming into, there'll be a fourth team. Now, you can make the argument that they're not anywhere near the league of the Blues, Cardinals, or, or even MLS. The XFL is a, is a fledgling league, I would yes. say, because they haven't really played a game yet. So uh, how do you think football will come in? to this market in your mind as, as someone who sells tickets and markets things and uh, can they make it? Can we support four teams? I think the XFL is, uh, is a really tough putt to use a golf analogy here. I think that um, they're going to be kicking off in February of 2020 uh, right in the heart of the blue season. Cardinals first pitch is 30 days away and the question I really have and you and I have talked a little bit about this offline is is the appetite really there for, take St. Louis aside, but we'll address St. Louis, is the appetite there for the football fan? After a long college season, a long NFL season, literally two weeks after the Super Bowl, the XFL's kicking off. Sure, you're gonna have some diehard football people that just want their fix. Why I, what, the reason why I think it's tough here is I think playing in the Dome's gonna be challenging. It's a 60,000 seat stadium. I think they'll be lucky to get 20,000 in there. Um, I almost view it, and this is no slight on the XFL, I would almost view it as if we had an NBA D-League team here, a developmental league team, which from what I gather, the XFL wants to become a develop, de developmental league team for the XFL, I mean for the NFL. I just don't know if the, if the common person is going to go down to the Dome in February and March and and, and, and watch the XFL. Now, I think they're going to do some unique things, probably with uniforms and neon balls. They'll do some things that I think might engage 
the 13 to 19 year old kid and that might be really nice for them to do. They've got good television deals as you well know. Um, I think we'll know after about two or three years if this league will make it or not. Well, you're giving them two or three. That's a that's a the last spring league that they had. I I, I got a couple of comments about what you said, and uh, I'm not sure that they view themselves as a developmental league. Uh, I think they have maybe morphed a little bit more to saying maybe we should be a developmental league uh, because, as I always say, nobody's going to come down to the dome to watch Eric Stisser and Bob Wallace play football. We don't have any, you know, right. we have no following. Uh, you got to have some stars. You got to have people that want to come. Otherwise, you've got to develop sort of like the college affiliation where people are going to come because of the name on the front of the jersey instead of the name on the back of the jersey. I'm not sure that that's the professional sports model that people, they come because of, to see stars. Uh, so I, I'm not sure that uh, they will be able to, to be a minor league. And then I, I asked the question, even when they were negotiating the contract to come to St. Louis, uh, to play in the Dome. This is, I said to St. Louis people, I said, Do, does St. Louis, that has had two NFL teams here, want to be get in bed with a, a fledgling league, or do we take the position that we're an NFL city, that we've always we supported our teams, uh, that St. Louis has really had ownership problems much more than they had fan base problems. Now, we did have some stadium problems uh, when, when the Cardinals were here, and there were some stadium issues with this, Although I, I would make an argument that St. Louis, uh, we kind of badmouthed ourselves into believing we had the worst stadium in the NFL instead of having the worst stadium in the NFL. I don't think it was quite that. So I, I just kind of wonder uh, about the XFL. I think you're correct is that they may have a uh, the 13 and 19 year old uh, attraction. Uh, that doesn't attract the 63-year-old Bob Wallace, who when I go to some of these events, I'd like him to turn the music down. <laughs> right. right. I don't really want to have a lot of noise in the stadium. And I think that's going to be part of their attraction. I, th I think you made a key point. Um, St. Louis is a very proud city, as we all know. And they've had two NFL teams, and the Cardinals and the Rams. And they view themselves as an NFL city. And I think that's going to be a knock on the XFL. Number one, there's no local ownership. It's owned by the XFL, Vince McMahon. So I don't think they're going to have that community tie-in where people are really going to dive into it. Of course, people are going to check it out and see how it goes, but I think it's going to be really, I think this is going to be a challenging market for the XFL. Right. As a, you know, we used to, you know, St. Louis has a great reputation for being a baseball city. I think the Blues prove that it's a sports city, that because, the, you know, you guys got the coverage that, for years, you've been desiring. I mean, you know, you're on the front page of the, you know, the newspapers. You're on the front page of the sports page. There are four pages, and the, the Blues have never had that kind of coverage. The Rams never didn't have that kind of coverage, except when we were good. Uh, so there, there's 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 a difference. Uh, but St. Louis is a sports town, not necessarily a baseball town. I think you guys prove that to the people. However. And, and you and I have discussed this a bunch of times, and I'm kind of one. It's one of my pet peeves a little bit about what happened uh, with with the Blues run, and 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 I've said to you, there's no diversity in hockey, uh, and I look at the, you know, and I look at your team, uh, and you know, I don't know, but that's not your fault. I'm, I right. don't blame that on the Blues at all. There's no African Americans on your team. I'm not sure if there are any African Canadians on your team. Uh, 
at that point, which which is different. With so North St. Louis, and you look at the parade, and you look at your crowds, and you look at uh, the watch parties, and there was no diversity in the crowd. And I don't know how hockey addresses that, how the Blues address that. I know they're trying. Tell me what you guys are doing to sort of grow your fan base. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that is a key element for us, and I think it was probably I, – I know you don't go to a lot of games. Um, I know we've made some inroads, and I know that um, – I'll talk to, uh, I'll talk about Randy Gersh, who heads up our community relations, uh, and Brandon Knox. So we have a couple programs I want to highlight. One is called Hockey is for Everyone, and one is called Little Blues. And I brought a little stat sheet here. Um, the Street Blues – Ball hockey program has been implemented in 186 local schools and youth centers since its inception, reaching more than 85,000 kids annually. So, is that in St. Louis or yes, no, no? This is St. Louis only. So, um, for instance, ice is limited, ice hockey is expensive. So, what we've been doing is we've been taking, through our community relations initiatives, we take street ball back to the schools, we supply them with the equipment. We give the teacher uh, the curriculum to run street, street hockey. Um, we built a rink at Matthews Dickey a few years ago, an outdoor street hockey. We've done events with JJK, the St. Louis Boys and Girls Club. So we're probably doing more in that area than you're aware of or maybe the community is aware of, but um, it is a very key point for us. Little Blues is a program that uh, is for ages 5 to 9, and for $150 we will fully equip the child and give them six free sessions to learn the game. Um, on ice? On ice. On ice. Um, Kim Davis, African American, she's the EVP of social impact and growth with the NHL. She came to town this past season and we hosted a luncheon at Enterprise Center with various African American leaders in the community to talk about this various, th th this issue uh, exactly not only the Blues, but around the league, how can we do a better job of speaking to people of color, speaking to African Americans, and getting them engaged in our sport? Now, um, I will tell you, uh, I was very encouraged at watch parties, games, bars, uh, just the growth in people of color that jumped onto the sport. Um, and, and, and I do agree with you to a sense that there is a barrier to entry to hockey. It's It's... Ice is limited and equipment is expensive. Right. I mean, when you and I were little, we could go play baseball or basketball outside very easily. So we're aware of those issues and we're trying to address them head on locally and nationally with the NHL. Right. My, my, and I tell you, the argument that I've been having with people, and it's not directed at the Blues or the NHL, I actually direct it more to the coverage of the event, that it was a uniting force for the community where I don't believe that it had any impact on North St. Louis at all. And so, and that was the media's fault in not pointing that out. Because uh, you might say, and I did, I, and I, I'm one of those people who look at pictures and say, where's the diversity in this picture? And all the pictures that I saw in the, uh, the parade is there was no diversity in any of the pictures. So, and, and that was the media saying- When you say no, you mean you didn't see any person of color? One. I would. I mean, when when you can count, I know firsthand if, fifty of my friends. When that are you people can see, when you can go to an event in St. Louis and you can see, when you can count people of color, then that's a problem because yeah, you know, when you can, when you can literally say, oh, there's one, there's one, uh, that that's a problem. 
and my my criticism is that the media wanted to paint this picture that it was a unifying force instead of saying, boy, look at this, look at this, the people who are supporting this sport. It's not diverse. And that's where, yeah. that, that that's my criticism. It wasn't of the Blues. Right. And it's not of Blues ownership. It's not even of the NHL. Because I do, I, I do understand, and I've talked to people in the NHL, and I, I understand, they understand that this is something that they have to address if they want to grow the sport to be something more than the fourth of the four big sports. Uh, and, you know, basketball has, this, has the problem, or let me just say basketball had the problem on the reverse where it was viewed as a, you know, a totally African-American sport, although now with the international players, you're getting right. much more uh, diversity on, on both, of, both of those. So one other program I want to highlight, uh, and it was something we started last year, uh, Wells Fargo Advisors is our partner. We have a program called First Game Program. And 10 times a year, uh, 100 tickets for each game. So it's 1,000 tickets. So on a random Tuesday night, 100 people will come to the arena. And we work with various local organizations, primarily in the city. It's been Matthews Dickey. It's been other boys and girls clubs. It's been schools. And these children, primarily people of color, it is their first ever Blues game, and they come with a guardian or, or a parent, so each child gets two tickets to bring a guardian or a parent. We go down underneath, and Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale, our radio announcers, we do a one-hour hockey 101, and we teach them offsides, too many men on the ice, icing, slashing, things like that. We give them a one-hour sort of tutorial about the game. We give them a t-shirt, we give them a coupon for a hot dog and a soda, and they come to the game for the very first time. And this is a program we're really proud of, and we know it'll, it will continue to grow. Good. That, that, that sounds like a wonderful problem. Moving on to a couple of other challenging issues sure. for someone who's in the business of selling the sport to people is the participation in the Olympics. I mean, for uh, I, I would imagine that a, a marketer who's trying to grow the population would think participation in the Olympics is good, although taking time off in the middle of your yeah. season is, is a problem, I guess. Do you think that's a, a, a benefit to be participating in the national? Does it grow your sport? It certainly helps participate in the Olympics. I'll go back to when, um, I think it was 2014 in Russia, when T.J. Oshie had his unbelievable shootout. I think he had four in, in one game. But it, it is very disruptive. Um, it's a, it's a two-week break in the middle of our season. There's a risk of injury. As you well know, these guys have big contracts. So as I sit here today, I don't have a clear-cut answer. Um, the, the past Olympics we skipped, it didn't work out. Um, I know Gary Bettman is working closely with the IOC to talk about the next Olympics. Um, it's probably a missed opportunity marketing-wise for, for the very best in the world. All the NHL players are not playing it. But, you know, a lot of people like, like to compare the NBA. The NBA is easy because they play in the Summer Olympics, which is in July, and they're not, they, don't, they don't have any conflicts. So um, ours is a little bit more of an obstacle that we, we need to address. And sometimes it just depends on where the Olympics are being held and ease of getting there. But um, the disruption to the season is a big one. And the injury. In 20, the injuries. And in 2014, you have a lot because. These guys, their countries, it's very important to them. It, right. It's as important to them as the crest for the St. Louis Blues right. or the Chicago Blackhawks. Right. And they come back from the Olympics, and they're wiped out. Like, they're really wiped out, whereas some guys get a lot of rest for two weeks. Do you get pushback from your foreign players that they want to do this? Uh, 
I know the the players' association seems to be on the side we should be in the we should be playing in the Olympics. At least that was at one point their position. Yeah, I, I can't. I know Alexander Ovechkin had a comment for Russia. I, I can't. I think most of the players align themselves with what's best for the players' association, the ownership, and the league. And I think this last go round, sure, there were some guys that were disappointed they couldn't plan it, but. I think they understand, understood it was for the good of the whole. What, what, what is the difference between that and the, the, the World Cup they're talking about or sort of a World Cup of, of hockey? Yeah, so, so the World Cup of hockey is a separate event that was done a few years ago in Toronto, and that's done in September. So different time period. And that's done, yes, before the season starts. Hockey, and, and you mentioned you talk, when you're talking about the Olympics, you talk about the injury factor. Uh, and... You know, hockey is a is a tough sport. I mean, it's these guys are hitting each other. They're they're skating a hundred miles an hour. Uh, they're slamming e into each other. It's not like football where uh, they're slamming into each other, but that really is the game, and it's not unexpected. In hockey, you know, you could be, you could knock somebody out, and they don't see you coming. Mm -hmm. uh, and the concussions are an issue. Uh, do you get any? You're you're a dad of a young athletic man do you get any pushback from I don't want my kid to play hockey it's too dangerous no Graham played hockey for two years and he plays football as you and I have talked about um, I know his mother doesn't want him to play football yeah that's correct <laughs> but Bob and I played our whole lives and I think we're okay so and I think the I think the pendulum has swung really far not only with hockey but with football I think the pendulum has swung too far the other way because as, as you and I know the equipment's better the diagnosis is better uh, the awareness is much better than it was when, when, you, when you and I played. Um, as far as, as hockey concussions go, um, it's interesting. I'll go back to when we talked about what this cup run, playing 26 games over eight weeks. Uh, it's almost three games a week, and these are, these are high-speed, intense games. And I would argue that, the, that these hockey players are some of the greatest athletes in the world because you've got speed, finesse, physicality, and, oh, by the way, it's on ice. It's a very challenging sport. It's about as physical as football. It really is. Now, granted, they play in shifts, although football does as well with, foot, with offense and defense. But, um, Bob, I think every league is concerned with concussion. Soccer, um, probably not baseball as much, except when you get hit in the head with a pitch. But I, I think everyone wants to be wise and cutting edge with technology and awareness on, on, on concussion. So I think we're certainly cognizant so, of that. So you know what I noticed about hockey? Uh, and the playoffs is there was less fighting, correct during hockey during the. Uh, That's uh, accurate. Yeah, is that because they figure why is there more fighting during the season than in the well, playoffs? Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but but fighting is way down, um, and I don't have the perfect answer. I'm not going to verbalize this the right way, but until you're around the sport enough, um, there is a place for fighting in hockey. You've got a weapon in your hand, it's high speed, and I'll use an example of Brad Marchand for the Bruins or some Krug. Sometimes guys will run around and they'll, they'll take some runs at your star players. Marchand had a very low hit on Tarasenko in the playoffs that was not called. And sometimes you need a guy to go in the corner and rough him up. It may not result in a fight, but you may need the guy to rough him up just to send a message. It, it, it's different than ba basketball, you get ejected. 
it's hard to draw parallels sport by sport. Well, no, but I could draw the parallel to baseball where, you know, brush the, ba the brushback pitch drawn, and, and they've tried to take that out of the game. Correct. Uh, and there would be people that are, would make the argument that you're making, a, that the self-policing is better than the umpire uh, giving a warning that means nothing or yes. means too much, actually, because it means the next pitch that could slip or could be an intention, intentional pitch takes a guy out of a game. Yeah, but fighting in general is way down. It's way down in the regular season, and the reason it's almost non-existent in the playoffs is because these games are so critical and meaningful, you don't want to make your team shorthanded. You don't want to put yourself in a tough position. So it, it, it's, it's almost extinct from the playoffs. Right, right. I, 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 Unless again, the game is out of hand. I don't know anything about hockey, and, but I would think if I was coaching a hockey team, what I would say is we're not getting penalties. I, I would drill that into a guy because it seems to me that if you're shorthanded, you're gonna, the other team's going to score. 90% of the time, which maybe not, maybe not. Statistically, it's about 75 to 80% right. is very so, high. So yes. a penalty is, is deadly, and one goal, you know, it's not like you're coming yes. back from a touchdown. I always, in, in basketball or football, if I'm down 21 nothing or 15-6 to six in the first quarter in, in one of those sports, I got plenty of time to come back sure. because scoring is much easier. In hockey, it's not. And if you give somebody, it's like, you know, playing with 10 guys on the field instead of 11. Uh, I mean, somebody's not covered. <laughs> Correct. Right. So that makes it, it much more, more difficult then. Uh, and then as you, you, we talked a little bit about the cost of playing hockey, the cost of attending games. I mean, one of the things that I find, you know, one of the things that were good about football is you only had 10 games. Really, you only had eight that counted, but you had, you had to pay for 10. So you could go for, you could get a season ticket for $400. Mm-hmm. You can't get a season ticket for $400 in hockey. It's, you know, $40 for, what, 40 games? Well, we've got some partial plans. We've got some 10 games and 20 games. But, but hockey's an expensive sport. It so. is. It's, the lower bowl of hockey is, 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 is some of the most expensive tickets in all the sports. And generally speaking, the lower bowl can be fairly corporate white collar and the upper bowl can be kind of blue collar. Um, but... Um, you know, for instance, our arena, we actually decreased our arena. Our arena was about 19.5, and with the renovations, we knocked down some suites, built some private clubs. We had to get uh, more in line with ADA codes. So we lost some seats, so we actually went from probably 19.5 down to about 18.2, um, 18.3. Out of that 18.2, 16,000 is season tickets. And um, with the success we had this year and, and with our, our ticket sales group the last two weeks, we are coming right up against being completely sold out of season tickets next year. I mean, we'll always keep some back for individual games and groups, but... Um, There's my advice. Sell them. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> sell them right, while you right. can. We sell them while you're hot, right. <laughs> yes. One other thing I want to mention, just going back to growing the sport and little blues and hockey is for everyone. Something we're really, really excited about and proud of is this September we are opening an $80 million facility called the Centene Community Ice Center. Um, we broke ground about a year ago. It's four sheets of ice out in Maryland Heights. It's a three-way partnership between the city of Maryland Heights, St. Louis County, and the St. Louis Blues Legacy, uh, Legacy Foundation. Four sheets of ice. The Blues will practice there, although we will only equate to roughly 6% of the ice time, which is key. Between the other three sheets of ice, and the Blues ice will be used as well, Lindenwood will play there. And there will be um, various youth hockey tournaments throughout the year. And this facility is unlike any other facility around the country. 
four sheets of ice, three covered, one, three indoor, one outdoor but covered. In the summertime, we'll have concerts there. So that opens up this September, the Centene Community Ice Center. And I think you will, that will be a huge bonus for us as far as additional programs for hockey is for everyone and little blues. That, that, uh, yeah, that, that sounds like a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, facility that you're going to have. Uh, and, yeah, the more people you can expose, I mean, as, as we talked about earlier, one of the tough things about uh, I, hockey is the ice time and getting ice. Uh, there are very few sheets of ice, and you're spreading them out around all the different groups that want to use it. So, you know, kids probably, uh, the, the eight-year-olds have ice time at 6 in the morning. Yes. Uh, which is hard to get an eight-year-old to go do anything at 6 in the morning. And this past year was tough for the community because the old Hardy's Iceplex is where Top Golf is now. Right. And that eliminated three sheets of ice. Right. And believe me, three sheets of ice, that's a big dent in the community. So getting our four sheets back online is great. And then the Michael Steinberg project in Chesterfield, I believe, is two sheets of ice. So, um, But let me, let me just throw a suggestion out to anyone who's listening about sheets of ice is we need some in the city. If we want to grow it in the African-American communities, we've got to get it so the kid can, parents can get them there in 10 minutes instead of 45 minutes on a, on a, yes. in the morning. So we, we need some sheets of ice in places that are a little bit more, more convenient. Uh, so you're in charge, Eric, uh, in the sports world. What do you think St. Louis sports is going to look like in 10 years? You've been here, what, 20? Yeah, 20 years. 20 23. Years. I, I moved back in 96. That's actually a really good question. Um, of course I asked. It. We talked about it, you know, St. Louis being such a prideful city, and you go back to the Winter Classic. I'll go back to the Rams Super Bowl runs. The way we put on events in this community, the PGA is a great example, um, the run the Blues just had, this town shows up, and this town does it in a big way. And, Bob, I know you've been very active in the Sports Commission over the years, whether it's the Women's Final Four, the Men's Frozen Four Hockey, gymnastics, wrestling that comes to our building. Anytime this town puts on a big event, the town shows up and the town supports it in a huge, huge way. So 10 years from now, I'd like to think the Blues are still very much so flourishing. The Cardinals are flourishing. It's probably a crystal ball, maybe a wish, but I hope, I hope the NFL's back here in 10 years. I really do. I, I think it's great. I think having uh, the NFL shield in your city uh, is a big deal, and I think that we're a little light without it. And um, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know who takes that baton and runs with it, but I really hope that um, it probably won't be Goodell because I don't think he'll be the commissioner in 10 years, but... Whoever the commissioner is at the time gives St. Louis a really good look and a fair shake, and I think that we have the interest and uh, the pockets around here to make that happen. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that the uh, there is no uh, fire that anybody wants. I mean, I think the city of St. Louis, the politicians, even the business community to some extent, has been so turned off by the NFL that nobody's saying we need. You know, when the rant, when the Cardinals left uh, in the late 80s, uh, there was a, we need to get a team back here. We wanted to, you don't have that same fever now that you, that you had then. But I agree with you. I think, you know, as nobody in my family is a hockey fan, but everybody knew that 
you know, St. Louis Blues were playing and because they saw it on the bottom of the ESPN scroll uh, that, you know, in June, St. Louis versus Boston was on the scroll, you know, so that that's great for the for the city, when the NFL, when we're here in the NFL, and you know, I think we miss not having basketball. I'm not sure we could support all those sports, but I think, I think the one thing sports are, and they say this about colleges, is that uh, the football program is the the porch to the to the university. I think sports is the porch to the to the community, and I think what you guys proved, uh, despite my you didn't unite the whole city, you did bring a sense of attention. Uh, to this city that was wonderful. The perception of St. Louis as, you know, hockey champions is, has been great, is, is great for this city. And especially after some of the, you know, some of the negative publicity. Yeah, our town have. needed it. Right. Whether it's, whether it's what happened in Ferguson, whether it's the crime statistics that we have here, whether it's the Rams leaving, what you guys did, I think, was really, uh, was a real plus for, for this region on a national and maybe even an international uh, level. I think, you know, you got hockey players that are from different countries and, you know, they now are maybe St. Louis Blues fans because right. their guys played and won the Stanley Cup. So uh, I think that's great. So, Eric, I want to thank you for taking the time. I think, uh, again, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, this is Eric's. He's getting his second championship ring. Uh, so congratulations to him. He's... He's two up on many, 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 many people <laughs> in this community. So, well, thank you, Eric. For right place, right time. Lucky to be a part of both. And good luck next season. Thank you very much. Great. I hope you enjoyed listening to Eric or that you've enjoyed any of our podcasts in the past. Please let us know. You can provide feedback by going to the Apple Podcasts and go to the ratings and review sections for them. If you're listening to these on Stitcher, go to stitcher.com and search for After the Buzzer to leave a review or comment. Of course, if there's a topic you would like us to discuss in the future, let us know. We thank you for listening.